the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, that he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Last week we talked about we are the house of God. We are the place where God has put his presence. We talked about the things that we place into our lives, the things that we crowd out our house with to clear out those things, to allow him to do what he wants to do because he loves us. And his plans for us are so much better than the plans that we have. And so he calls us to recognize what are those obstacles in the way. But it's no use clearing out the house if we don't fill it with something. And Jesus is very clear that God's house, his father's house, is to be a house of prayer. A house, a place filled with prayer. And I want to simplify that this morning um, and do it pretty quickly. That simply we would be a place that seeks the Lord. Philip Yancey says this about prayer. The main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier nor to gain magical powers, but to know God. That we would be a place that seeks the face of God to know him above all else, to know him. Prayer is central. It's the starting line and it's the finish line in our time here on earth to seek the face of God. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And this is Jesus' deep passion for his people. It's his deep passion for us. In all four Gospels, this story of him cleansing the temple is told. And if that happens, we should really pay attention. In all four Gospels, different variations, this story of him cleansing the temple is told. And in John, they simply make this remark as they see him clear out this, the temple It says, they remembered, the disciples remembered, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Do you see that Jesus is, do we feel that Jesus is passion for us? He has a zeal for us to be a house of prayer. He has a zeal for us to be a place that prioritizes the presence of God, that doesn't do what the people of the temple were doing relying on their religious systems, relying on what was there, practical, and using it to their own end and their own purposes. We long for this house and this body to be above all a place that seeks the Lord. Because we believe that's where everything comes from. Finding him, beholding him, looking at him, as Megan talked about, beholding his beauty, that's the source of all power in all ministry, in everything we want to see God do in us and through us as a church comes from seeking him first because he's loved us first. So I'm simply going to talk about three points of what we need, what everyone needs to be a people that seek the Lord or put it negatively, the things that if we don't have this, we're not going to pursue and seek the Lord and be a house of prayer, a house that pursues knowing God first. So those three things, I'm going to move quickly through them, are dependency, expectation, and endurance. Dependency or desperation might be a better word. Desperation, expectation, and endurance. Make our life work pretty well without God where we feel like we can keep him on the margins, keep him in a corner of our house, keep him in a room sealed off, and be pretty okay. I think that place is the place where we need to worry above all else. 
of Yahweh. They called on the name of the Lord. And the first place it's found is Genesis 4.26. It says, To Seth was born a son, and he called him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. The author makes this assumption. promised them a snake crusher. He promised them one who would crush the head of the snake. They would bruise his heel, but he would crush the head of the snake. And the author makes the theory that Adam and Eve came. They weren't the snake crushers. Cain and Abel came. That didn't look good. Seth and Enosh came. Still no snake crusher. So their response then was to call on the names. There was a gap, so they began to call on the name of the Lord. And I think we have all felt this. We have all recognized that in our life, some of the deepest richest growth spiritually that we have experienced is through times of deep hardship and pain. Megan just gave us one example in her testimony. We've all experienced that fact. Most of us, if you've been following Jesus for long enough, have experienced that the place we find the deepest growth is that place of pain and difficulty. And it's because it brings us to the place where we recognize for God himself that no matter what happens, He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So we recognize that dependence. And I I just want to tell us, read one parable that I think that Jesus gave that I think illustrates this danger zone that we need to recognize when we feel if we're in a place where we are not recognizing that we need God. Um, He tells a parable about a banquet feast in Luke 14. I'm going to read that for us. It'll be the longest scripture I read. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets in the lanes of the city, and bring the poor, and crippled, and blind, and lame. Jesus burst on the scene. He said, blessed is the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of oxen, a marriage, a field. None of them are sinful. But they tend to be the things that we trust in, and we look to bring our value in our life, or that we trust in for our life as a whole. Tim Keller says, what is an idol? Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only. Things that we are trusting in above God or we're worshiping, really, or our affections are truly there first. To recognize it isn't enough. We need something more. We have to have it replaced. There's an awesome book with an awesome title. It's an old, simply, that the human heart can't handle no affection, nothing to behold. We were made to worship. He says stuff like this, you've heard that nature abhors a vacuum, such at least is the nature of the heart. It cannot be left void, turning it away upon a desolate vacancy, but by presenting to its vision another object still more alluring, another object still more beautiful. So it's not because when you seek him, you'll find him. And those other things that we try to turn away from, that we try to push away, the things that tend to come back up over and over again, they keep coming until 
our, our heart and our minds behold something so much better. There's a man who found a treasure in a field, and he went in his joy and sold all that he had to have that field. We have to recognize our deep dependency on God to see him, to behold him. And if that's not there, and if other things make us feel like we're okay without God, then we won't start to seek him. But even when we do seek him, we need something else. We need expectation. We need expectation that he will come through. All throughout Scripture, there's a simple promise, and our Lord says it most clearly, if you seek, you will find. If you seek, you will find. God guarantees it. If we don't have expectation that we will find God when we seek him, we won't start to seek him. We'll look to other things. If we don't have expectation that he is our answer, he is our hope, he is our future, if we don't have expectation, we won't begin to seek him. Psalm 25.3 says, Indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. None who wait for you will be put to shame. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And my favorite, Hebrews eleven six. and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Satan wants to keep us in a place and to tell us, this is all you can expect from God. This is as much as he has for you. Other people may be able to have the experience of joy in the Lord and suffering or whatever it is that you're experiencing, but you cannot expect more from God. Stay in this place. Don't keep going. Don't keep pushing through because there's no more of God to find. In the scriptures over and over and over again, call us to this place of expectation. There's a quote, I don't remember where it's from, but I know my buddy Titus, who's here tonight, told me this quote, and I like it. It says, unbelief is safe because it almost always gets what it expects. We need faith. We need belief, simple belief that God is there, even when we don't feel it. Unbelief is safe because it almost always gets what it expects, but on the contrary, Expectant seeking of God is scary because we need him to show up when we seek. We're putting our lives, we're putting our life in his hands. We have to believe he'll be there. But even with expectancy, we need endurance. We need perseverance. Many times we begin to seek God and the timing isn't what we thought. Or the answers that we were looking for aren't the answers that he's giving us or we're looking for something and it's just not happening in our timeline. And other things start to present themselves quickly. Other options besides him and besides him coming through for us, besides him showing up for healing, whether it's addiction or physical healing, and you've just grown weary and tired. I believe the Lord wants to um, speak life into that expectation again and tell you, keep going, keep seeking me, keep coming to me, and don't give up. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, the cross. He didn't waver, though he broke down in tears, asking the Father, if there was another way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. He endured to the end. And there are great promises that he gives. For, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, our dependency on Jesus, our looking to him. It's what overcomes the world and overcomes all the pain and all the brokenness brought into our lives. He has all that we need. And he's calling us to look to him, to follow him into that same endurance and to find that God's promises always, always come through. This morning, the reason we're shifting and transitioning in this moment is we get the privilege um, of remembering a person, woman, uh, who uh, is from Nigeria and um, when she joined our church three years ago, she began another battle with cancer that uh, came back um, after she was in remission for many years, uh, and God healed her of that first diagnosis. The cancer came back, and she was with us during that battle, and this past Sunday, um, she passed away, and, uh, and so there, and we're not going to get to have a memorial service or funeral for her family in Houston um, which was our church and Ron Blue Trust, where she worked with so many people that are here. Um, we wanted to take um, these, these moments uh, here this morning to remember her, to honor her, and allow her to speak into our lives. Because this, what I just talked about, and Ife are not disconnected parts of our time this morning. I don't know if I have met anyone um, in my life that has displayed a deeper dependency on Jesus, a, a greater expectation for him to come through, and more endurance <clears throat> than Ife. She had a, a lot of hard things in her life, including difficult battle with cancer. And yet, if you knew her and if you met her, somehow, some way, she radiated joy. She was a light in our community, a light and a joy that should not have been there in the darkness that she was experiencing. She is a, she's an example and the fruit of someone who sought the Lord. And even in the darkest times, there was a power that she carried that was not of this world. It was from another place. It welled up inside of her like a spring of eternal life. It's like Jesus made good on his promises she carried that with her, that joy and that light. It's because she was one that exemplified everything that I talked about. So as I was thinking about what I was going to share this morning and thinking, how are we going to move into time of honoring Ife? I was like, this is incredible. God gives us not only his word that we would expect, that we would look at these things and pursue him and put away all these other things in our life and trust him. He gives us his word, but he also gives us people, his testimonies, beautiful lights and examples in our lives. 
And so I, 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 my hope this morning is that we honor Ife, but also that her life and her story pushes us deeper into seeking God with all of our hearts, into believing him like she did, into loving him like she did. Jesus was the love of her life. So this morning, we get the joy. Uh, the Anderson families, uh, so many of you loved Ife so well, but the Anderson family poured in so much love into Ife and her life, and um, probably one of the closest people to her um, in Houston was Katie Anderson. And so we get the uh, privilege of hearing some words about Ife from Katie this morning. Hey, Hope Church. Thanks for letting me share this morning about Ife. Um, it was a joy and a privilege for all of us to have known her, and it's a joy and a privilege to remember her this morning. I was reading a book this spring and came across a phrase that jumped out to me. I immediately wrote it down in my journal, and I wrote Ife's name in big letters next to it. The phrase was defiant adoration. Even now, all these months later, it still strikes me as the perfect phrase for her. In the face of overwhelming hardship and pain, and she did have a lot of both, Ifa was defiant in her adoration of, and praise of the Lord. When life pushed against her to give it up and to give in, she pushed back hard and refused. The joy of the Lord was truly Ifa's strength, and I've never seen anything quite like it. As Jake said, Ifa joined our church in 2020. It was shortly after she'd been told her cancer had returned and that this time there was not going to be a cure. I think I expected Ifa when she showed up to her because by the time you were coming to church, maybe she was unable to attend services. So I just wanted to share some things about her. Jake said she's originally from Nigeria. Most of her family was still there, but she worked um, at Ronald Blue Trust with a shocking amount of Hope Church members. And both there and here were truly her family in Houston. She said over and over again how she never felt alone for even a second in this entire journey because of you all and her family at work. That's where it came from. Ifa clung to the word of God. It was everything to her. Even at the end when she was very sick, her Bible sat open next to her on the bed so that with whatever energy she could muster, she would just turn to the word and read whatever she could. Sometimes it would be a sentence. She was reliant on the word of God and lived every single minute of her life like that was true. I talked a second ago about her defiant adoration of the Lord, but a similar phrase has been rolling around in my mind this week as I think of Ife, and that phrase is a stubborn hope. She could not and would not be deterred from believing that God could and would heal her. When they're faced with being thrown in, they tell the king, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and will deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we will not serve your God. And it can be hard and confusing to look at someone with a faith as powerful as hers who believed to the very end in the healing power of God. But having walked with her, I know that Ifa's faith mirrored. She is whole and complete and healed in heaven with him. This spring when Ifa's health was really suffering, I asked the Lord why he wasn't healing her. And what he responded with brought me the peace I was seeking. 
he showed me that this person who loved Christ more than anyone I've ever met is going to be with him, full, lacking in nothing. He showed me that Aoife knew this world was entering his kingdom. Aoife told me a couple months ago that she wanted to die empty, having poured out every last bit of herself forgotten his glory. And I'm so, so thankful that we got to watch her do just I think sometimes stories um, can help us get at reality um, more than facts and logic. Um, Jesus used stories over and over, parables, fictional stories, to teach us about the reality of the world we live in, about spiritual realities that we could not see, about things like Ife we don't see now, but we believe, as Katie shared, she is experiencing a reality greater than we can imagine. Which is where all her suffering feels like light and momentary affliction. Because of the weight of glory she's tasting with the one she loves. <clears throat> a modern day story that teaches us, has, te te has taught so many people about the reality of the world we live in there's Chronicles of Narnia called The Last Battle. <clears throat> In that scene, the characters <clears throat> of the book are experiencing death themselves. Aslan, the lion character that's representing Jesus, is letting them know they're experiencing death. And the writer explains that transition with these words. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful when I cannot write them. For us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. As we read these words and think about Ife, this is not wishful thinking. The world that tries to remove God from every square inch when faced with the reality of death only has empty words. But we have the Father, and in Revelation 1 says, Behold, I hold the keys to death in Hades. And Ife's friend who was here, her friend there, here, is her friend there who held the keys to death and will not let her taste death. As Jesus comforted his friend Lazarus, Lazarus' sister Martha, he said to her. And so we're here still. Still walking this life, not our home. Years ago, um, we got to do an encounter service, uh, and about two years ago, she shared a testimony with us, and truly, thank God, we have it recorded, um, and so we're going to end our time hearing from Ife as she encourages us as we move forward in this life, to move forward as she lived, dependent on her Lord and the one who loved her. And so she's going to introduce a song that we're going to sing together. So we're going to hear words from her, 
just your expectation. We're going to hear words from her, and then we're going to sing that song she introduced. And at the end of that song, we're going to sing one of her other favorites, Worthy of It All, because I think she would say, truly, he was worthy of it all. And then we're going to leave this morning. So we're going to hear the words from Ife now. When Jesus heard, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John 11:4. This is the verse that the Holy Spirit spoke to me in 2014 after I left the hospital um, for what was supposed to be a routine check that was supposed to last 30 minutes that lasted three hours. And after it, they said, you have a um, tumor in your colon. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I got on the bus and God said, it's not unto death, it is so that my name can be glorified. And I was like, okay, so what is the plan here? I got home and I was like, God, so it's not unto death, but what is your game plan? <laughs> and he said, don't waste your cancer. And I was like, wow, um, what does that mean? But two years and um, three surgeries, chemotherapy and radiotherapy later, I would understand what that statement, don't waste your cancer, means. Um, the relationship that I developed, the way God drew me closer to him in that season, I don't think I would have experienced it in any other way, aside from this sickness. And, and now I was like, okay, now I understand what God means by don't waste your cancer. So it's funny because I used to pray a prayer that, that for my family members who didn't know the Lord. I used to say, God, just wreck their lives for your glory. Shatter their lives for your glory. And God was like, I'll shatter your life for my glory. <laughs> so um, I'm still um, very thankful to this day that I had that experience in 2014. And... I'm still going through that experience because seven years later, I would find out in 20, last year, <laughs> that the cancer had returned, even though I was in remission for seven years, that the cancer had returned, but now in my lungs. And I went back to God and I was like, what are we letting in this season again? <laughs> and um, he was just like, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect, even in this second time around. And so you're going to rely on my power for everything, to laugh, to breathe, to move from point A to B, to just do life, just re the, the reliance on God. Like, I guess I, I was used to living my life just on my own terms and just going about living like a normal human being, but God wanted me to trust him for every single thing, like literally in every sense of the word. Anyways, I wanted to take a quick interlude to thank my Hope Church family. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for your text messages, words of encouragement, rights to church, just every way that you have been the hands and feet of Jesus. I am super grateful. You are a delight to God and you have made him so proud. When Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, by the way you love one another, he was talking about you guys. So thank you for helping to carry my burden. Um, I also wanted to 
talk about a psalm that the Lord gave me, a scripture that the Lord gave me in this season. It's Psalm 27, 2. And it says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. I'll trust in Him, and He helps me. I'm very happy. I praise Him with my song. And I have a song that I would like to praise Jesus with tonight. It's a song by City of Lights, and it's, the title is Not I, But Christ in Me. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics, so if it sounds like I'm singing it, I'm singing it in my head, <laughs> but I'll leave it to Eddie and the worship team to sing for us. The lyric says, The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. All the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but Christ in me. I also wanted to say that when God said, my power is made perfect in, even in your weakness. I was like, how, Lord? Because he also called me to continue to abide even in this season. He said, yeah, you're just going to keep abiding. Don't think, you know, that will stop you from abiding. And I was like, how? He was like, it's not you. It's Christ. It's me in you. It's the Christ that is in me. And so um, I just wanted to encourage everyone tonight that whatever season that you're walking through, even right now, it is for the glory of God. It's for Christ to be manifested in you. Um, I, that scripture that says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various sorts. It's, it's interesting, but God wants us to count it all joy because it is in that trial that we will encounter him. So could be, it doesn't have to be an illness, it could be anything, marital, anything, but Jesus wants to bring you to your knees. He wants you to encounter him even in this season. So um, I pray that we would learn to press into Jesus and just say daily, not I. It's not I, Katie, it's not I, Cara, it's not I, anybody, but Christ in me. Um, he has not called you to do life on your own terms, um, which honestly, if you ask me, is super liberating. <laughs> He's calling you to live out Christ. He will not leave you to figure things out on your own. That's never his game plan. Apparently, Christ always has a game plan. <laughs> um, nothing that happens to you happens to him by surprise. He doesn't go, oops, look, look at what's happening. Oh, wow. I hope she figures it out, you know. Um, yeah, but I pray that when your race is complete, that your lips would repeat, not you, but Christ in you. God bless you, whole church. I'm so grateful for you guys. I love you. Thank you so much.